0: It's great to have all of you with us, either uh, in person or also online, so it's good to see all of you this morning. Today we complete our three-week series on the parables of Matthew chapter 13, and uh, you, you probably are a little afraid at this point because you know that I took a while to preach the first one on the parable of the soils, and then I was a little better on the soil of the weeds, but now we've got five parables to go over, and you're, you're probably shaking a little bit, I I promise you we will not spend as long a time on each of these parables as we did the others. Let me just remind you again of what a parable is. A parable is a story about one thing that helps you understand something else. Um, They're throughout the scriptures, but Jesus particularly liked to use parables. They're a word picture. They're something that helps you understand. Jesus also tells us that he talked in parables because, in a sense, he was waiting to see who would respond to the parable and seek to greater understanding. And remember that he says that in that parable of the soils. He understands the word of the kingdom. And so Jesus is always looking for people who are willing to dig in, to, to, to find out about the mystery of the kingdom and to have it understood. If you're a Christian this understanding of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is should be something that you're preoccupied with. It should be something that you you spend a good bit of time uh, exploring because Jesus talks so much about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's not about heaven. It's not about going to heaven. It's not about a physical kingdom. It's about God reigning in the hearts and minds of men and women. And as the kingdom grows, it's about the coming of the kingdom, Reigning in the hearts of men and women as God's kingdom grows more and more, we see the advancement of the kingdom. Um, many of us were coming off a week of Camp Araminta, our, our diocesan summer camp. Uh, this was our 14th year, 14, 1 and 4. Um, and uh, this year we did a virtual camp, uh, which I, I'm, I, I could never preach after camp. So this is amazing. You know, I guess we had like, we were two hours a night for five nights and not near as exhausting but um, really lots of consternation, lots of concern whether or not we could effectively do a summer camp virtually. Here are kids that have spent months on Zoom calls for class, and and now here they are being asked to go to camp online, but um, God's kingdom is always advancing, and God is not limited even by physical distance, and I am here to report that uh, we saw fruit of the kingdom of God. We saw God beginning to reign in the hearts of young men and women who were on the call, some of whom probably would never have come to physical camp. It was too intimidating or too far a drive or whatever, but they, they were willing to get online, and we heard testimonies on Friday night of the kingdom coming in the hearts and minds. Young men and women allowing Jesus to reign in their lives, beginning to correct their behaviors and call them into obedience and love for him and worship so i'm my heart is full although i'm still tired it's funny i I didn't work near as hard this year but still a sense of tiredness three hours a a night for for, uh, five nights but but yet we saw the kingdom coming so that's what a parable is that's what the kingdom is and that's what the lord wants to what the lord is teaching us through these parables these seven parables in matthew chapter 13 you could say that many parables and this is not a hard parables are many things but you could say that parables are like riddles so a one way to put a lot of these short parables that jesus gives these staccato parables that we get here the leaven and 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 mustard seed and and a pearl of great price and a treasure these are almost like riddles and so you could almost ask them turn around and say how is the kingdom of God like a precious pearl? How is the kingdom of God like a buried treasure? How is the kingdom of God like a mustard seed? How is the kingdom of God like leaven? And then Jesus quickly gives an answer or an indication of those three things. Now what you might not notice is that the, these parables are actually broken into three groups. There's two, the two, and then the one. And the first two are actually given to the crowds, we are not told that the crowds are present for the second two, nor for the third. Those come after a break in the passage, which you didn't have in the reading today, that indicates that Jesus withdrew and he said nothing more to the crowds, we're told in, in John and Matthew thirteen. He only was speaking to the disciples. So the first two are really given to the crowds. And there are these two matching uh, seeds and mustard seed and, and leaven. They're really interesting. In both cases, you're talking about something really small that doesn't seem like it has any ultimate benefit, and yet it has a, a, a great outcome. Um, what is unseen, Jesus says, is important with regard to the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming to the end of uh, Matthew 13. He is going he is to be rejected by his own people. He goes to Nazareth. He's rejected from them. And it's a foreshadowing of the rejection that Jesus will suffer in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders, ultimately to be crucified. This is the midway point in Matthew's gospel. I said that in week one, but just to remind you, this is the, the breaking point. He's rejected in, in Galilee, he's rejected in Nazareth, and now he f- turns his face towards Jerusalem and sets forth to go to Jerusalem uh, to, to become the savior of the world. So there's a sense in which, um, the kingdom doesn't look like a whole lot as jesus comes to the end of matthew chapter 13 it seems pretty insignificant small like a tiny little mustard seed you see for a long time i thought well mustard seed is like the faith that grows within us over time i don't think it's about an individual believer i think it's about the the manifestation of the kingdom the kingdom is all the people for whom god begins to reign in their lives and so At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the kingdom looked pretty minuscule, pretty insignificant, easy to be wiped out, a tiny mustard seed. Probably not, actually, biologists tell us, not the smallest seed, but that's not the point. The point is that it's a a tiny little seed that becomes this giant bush that that birds are able to perch in and make their their nest in. And and that's what Jesus wants to say. He's, He's saying, don't judge what you can see about the kingdom Understand that the kingdom is growing, it's going someplace. And, and what is necessary for the kingdom to reign and rule all over the world is, is found in the genesis of it, in the seed and what Jesus plants. Of course, we know ultimately Jesus is talking about the, the Gentile world that will come to worship Christ. Two billion Christians in the world today, almost a third of the world's population The the Gentiles, the nations of the earth literally coming to worship God through Jesus Christ. The other parallel is the leaven. Which is interesting because leaven is normally used to t- in a negative sense when you're talking about it. Leaven is, you know, the, the, sort of the pharisaical understanding is that leaven is bad. It's like sin, is, which is why, you know, unleavened bread. We use unleavened bread at communion. And we, we, we talk about unleavened bread at the, at the exodus, at the coming out of Egypt. And yet Jesus takes the, that negatively connotation, negative connotation of leaven and he turns it around and he makes it positive. What's he saying there? The, the kingdom may even be disparaged. It may even be seen as a bad thing. I mean uh, there are times in history obviously where Christians have been blamed for things and, and became the scapegoat for for different things throughout history and and even in our day now there's a sense in which there are people who you know we're responsible for the covid nineteen virus right we're the hotspots. we're the we're the problem New York Times talking about you know bad churches who are getting together and spreading the virus and things like that and and, and so oftentimes the kingdom can be seen in a negative connotation. And Jesus says, no, it, it, but the, the, the kingdom, like the mustard seed, this leaven that enters into the bread and, and eventually it affects the entire loaves. Now, the amount of flour that Jesus is describing here, these three parts, would have made enough bread for about 100 people. So Jesus is this, you know, just like with the mustard seed and the birds that come to perch, which is the, the Gentile nations. Here, this, there's enough bread to feed 100 people. There's a feast going on here. There's a kingdom feast. There's rejoicing and the, and the, the fruit of the kingdom. It's unseen now, but don't judge it by what, it, what you can see now. Understand that the kingdom starts small and continually grows. I think that's an encouraging word for us this morning. So those are two parables that are given to the to the unbelievers, to the crowds, so to speak, the would-be Christians. See how quickly we got through those first two? So the second two are sort of like that. The second two parables come in they're they're sort of a pair. And, and both parables, you have there's a certain hiddenness to both of them, the, the treasure that's buried and the pearl, they're both hidden, they have to be discovered and found. They're of great wealth, but there's a costliness to obtaining them. They're hidden. They're of great wealth, but there's a costliness to them. In both cases, both the man who discovers the hidden treasure, he sells all he has and buys the land so he can have the treasure. And the other parable, he he sells all he has to obtain this pearl, this precious pearl that that is of, of infinite value. And in so both cases, Jesus is reminding us that, the, that the, the kingdom of God is in that same way, a riddle. How is the kingdom of God like a, treasure, a precious treasure, buried treasure, or a pearl of great worth? It, it is worth everything, but it will also cost you everything. It's a commitment of our whole selves. I mean, and this parallels Jesus' words, Right? Anyone who gains his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the kingdom will gain. It's this costliness, this willingness to, to lay it all down, to, to turn and, and to submit and say, Jesus, you reign in my life. You be Lord. I, I, will, I will follow you. You know, for me at 15, it meant rather than chasing after popularity to, to, to allow the Lord to direct me to the people who needed a friend, who didn't have a friend it wouldn't help me socially but i could be a friend to them and help them eternally it's it's a, it's a it's it, tim keller says it's, it's the upside down kingdom it's it's the inside out kingdom it's the it's the complete reversal of everything the world screams at us as to how we should live but it's it's this precious treasure this pearl of great price that god offers to us if we're willing to seek after it with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now it's interesting. The two are parallel and yet they're different. In one case, the the, the man stumbles over the buried treasure. Right? He, stumbled, he he just completely finds it by accident. Do you know people that that found the kingdom of God, and found Jesus Christ by accident? They they weren't looking for him, right? And and they just they all of a sudden. Here, here was here was this presentation or this opportunity to hear the gospel, and they weren't looking for it. I, I think of like kids that go to young life camps. Our, our son-in-law, Andy, is a young life uh, leader. And there's some kids that, that go to young life camp for everything in the world except Jesus, and yet they, they find this, they stumble upon this buried treasure of the gospel. I think Dave Hall experienced that years ago, going to a, a, a young life camp. At, but then look at the other side of it, the pearl of great price. It's not somebody who stumbles upon it, it's somebody who intentionally is a professional in seeking it. You know, somebody like C.S. Lewis, who who actually studied Christianity and and then, despite all of his research and all of his att- attempts to, to, to avoid it, came to the conclusion that in fact Jesus Christ was the Son of God and he he falls on his knees right in, in boarding school and says he was the most reluctant disciple of Jesus ever. Lewis didn't stumble upon the faith. He studied diligently as a professional academic and yet came to find Christ, the pearl of great price. You see, in both cases costly yes, hidden yes, uh, uh, regarding, you know, of great, great wealth one stumbles upon it and another one studies diligently to find it. And we see both types of of people who bow their knee to the reigning lordship of Jesus Christ. So in that case, what's required? What's unseen? Secondly, what's required? The second two pearls. And then the last parable, what's at stake? Now, you probably, when you heard the the parable of the dragnet or the net, you, you, had this, um, you had this remembrance that, you know, if you were around or you have read before the parable of the weeds that we talked about last week. It's a, it's a parable of judgment that, that some are wheat and some are uh, these tares or they're, or they're this weed called darnel, which is a strange word. But, but they grow together. And then what, what we're told is that at the harvest time, the weeds are separated out from the wheat and that won't happen until the final judgment. Jesus almost verbatim draws the disciples' attention through this parable of the net to the fact that there will come a day, just as the creed says, when God will judge the living and the dead. And, and those who've, who are righteous will, will be here and those who are evil will be here. And, and that same kind of language that he used with that parable of the weeds is here again as well. They're very similar. Remember in the first week of these series of parables I reminded you that, that, that ultimately Jesus is always drawing us to a decision. What will we do with him? Will we reject him or will we receive him? He, he makes the opportunity for us to respond to him and every human being gets to make the decision about what they'll do with Jesus. They're all presented with the opportunity, and 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 yet here here is Jesus reminding us that ultimately, at the end of the day, that choice will re- result in in either rejection from God and re- or, re- or acceptance by God. You see, at the beginning, it's about will you will you be receptive to the kingdom of God. In the end, it will be, are you receptive by the kingdom of God, depending on what we do. And we talked about all the things that are involved there. So. It's here that it's helpful for me to remember that parables, like I said, are throughout the whole scripture. And I'm reminded of the parable of, of David that, that Nathan, the prophet, tells to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Maybe you're familiar with it or not. Um, most people, even though they don't know their Bibles very they don't know their Bibles very well, know the story of David and Bathsheba and, and David's public sin of not only uh, having an affair with Bathsheba, but then having Bathsheba's husband killed, Uriah, killed in battle um, to cover up his sin. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, remind you, comes to David and tells him a parable, a story about something that's meant to point to something else. And he, he tells David this story about this, this man who has one little sheep. And he sleeps with it and he cares for it and he eats from his fingers and and he loves this little sheep with all of his might. And then there's a rich man, Nathan says to David, who had a hundred sheep. But it comes time to have dinner and rather than taking from his hundred sheep to have dinner, he chooses to take this, this poor man's one lone sheep and he kills it and eats it. And David is furious, right? He is furious. This man should be killed for what he's done, right? Yeah, you know, he's the king, you know. He should be killed for it, and he should have to pay that guy back. He should have to give him four sheep for the one he took. And, and David's just kind of going off, and Nathan turns to him. Remember what, David, what Nathan says? You are the man. And in that moment, David is confronted with his sin. And David confesses, I have sinned against God. He, I, 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 in other words, I am not a righteous man. And, and I, I, I like that man in your parable, Nathan, deserved death. But God is merciful. There's consequences. The child that was conceived by Bathsheba does not live. And David has to grieve that. And David has to deal with consequences that will far, be far-reaching in his life. When we sin, there are consequences. But before God, he is forgiven and made righteous. And David writes Psalm 32 right after this this incident with, with Nathan. And God forgives David, and David proclaims God's forgiveness in Psalm 32. Now, why do I share this whole parable with you? Well, I, I share it with you because I... I want you to be reminded that there is none who is righteous. You see, we, we begin to go, well, who, who's, who's the good fish and who's the bad fish? Who's the, who's the wheat and who's the, who's the tare? Who's the, the weed? And yet, we are all unrighteous unless we're made righteous in God. But here's what David says in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Your strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Friends, Jesus tells this final parable of the kingdom It's a parable about judgment and separating the righteous and the evil. But remember that it's Jesus the righteous one who is able to make us righteous. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. How do we find the kingdom of God? We, We look to Jesus. Remember the kingdom always looks like Jesus. It's costly, but it's of great value. It's worth everything. Don't judge it from where it looks at a particular moment. Understand that within the seed of the kingdom is the ultimate victory, the place where there'll be a great banquet and where there'll be um, all the nations, all the cultures, all the races, all all the people of the world coming together to worship Jesus, the Lamb, who was slain and is alive. Oh, don't you see, we, we can be the righteousness of the kingdom if we cling to the righteous King, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.